We're back, pitches. Welcome to Pitch Slapped, the Pitch Perfect podcast. My name is Kaylee Hillier, and literally, I will delve into any topic around Pitch Perfect, as was proven last episode, where we talked about fruit. I don't know how we achieved that for an hour, but we did. And so this week, not only have we got some actor news and some great fan fiction highlights that I've been thoroughly enjoying reading, I thought we hadn't done a music episode in a while, so we're going to delve into another song from the movie and have a look at it. And I think this one might be my favourite Becca Mitchell mashup. Let's get into it. So in actor news this week, Hannah Mae Lee has been cast in the Ultra City Smiths. There's quite a big cast on this project, but this is also an animation. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all comes together. The series itself apparently centres on an investigation into the disappearance of Ultra City's most famous magnate. Two detectives assigned to the case fight against the city's corruption and threats to themselves and their families. So that is the premise of the whole series, but all the characters are stop-motion animated baby dolls. So (laughs) it sounds bizarre, and to be fair, it sounds like the type of project Hannah mainly, you know, she does some odd stuff, so a little bit out there, a little bit weird. I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to know how this is going to go. Elsewhere, Chrissy Fitt has shared that she is part of the guest cast for the Chicken Squad on Disney Junior. That will be coming out on Disney Junior on May the 14th. I always forget that Chrissy Fitt does a heck of a lot of voice acting. She's in like a lot of stuff, so I should probably check out some of her more voice acting roles. And finally, Adam Devine has been celebrating 10 years of his series Workaholics, the kind of series that really like put him on the map. And him and some of the Workaholic boys had a go at the Outriders game on Xbox. They were part of an Xbox Sessions where they played the game on a live stream and looked like they had a load of fun. That's it for our Acts News this week. In our fan fiction highlights coming up later on... We have got, like, the cutest, I think, single mum, the Chloe story that I just melted over. A fic that feels like it's a musical. And we're delving into a zombie apocalypse fic. But first, let's look at another song from the Pitch Perfect movies. Now, when we think of the songs from the Pitch Perfect movies, obviously we think of some of the big banner numbers. Just the way you are. There's also the final price tag song, Cheat Thrills from Pitch Perfect 3. I mean, there's so many good ones out there that we could have picked. But I was like, you know what? Let's change it up a little bit this time, looking at some music from the movies. And let's look at one of Becca Mitchell's mixes. Because I'll tell you what, when I first watched this film for the first time, it was Becca's mixes that changed this for me. I knew from the moment when I had heard this particular mix that I was sold. I was like, this is it, this is my thing, I'm obsessed, all here for it. 
And I think out of all of the Becca Mitchell mixes, this one is my absolute favourite. And you only get little snippets of the mixes in the movie when they layer them in somewhere. But when I came out of the cinema after seeing this film, my goal was to get this particular mix. I was like, I, I mean, I knew I was going to get the soundtrack, but I was like, I need it for this song. It wasn't even on the soundtrack. They didn't put the mixes in the soundtrack originally. I had to like wait a bit, but I was obsessed. It is, of course, 212 versus Buster Move, Azealia Banks versus Young MC. The song, which literally is the opening credit song. Like, you've had the Bellas doing their thing, you've had the Trebles, and then as soon as Pewgate happens, it goes into the opening credits and you get this song. And what a song it is. I mean, chills. I get chills just like thinking of this mix because it is so good so many kind of things coming together with a little bit of electronic that housey beat throwing in azealia banks and then to top it off the cheesiness the audacity to put <laughs> young mc in there as well i mean it all just comes together and that was the thing that i loved about Becca Mitchell at that point because obviously she was trying to come across as this like cool DJ type S person but she's not afraid to chuck in a cheesy number and kind of tweak it into her mixes something really well known maybe not the drummer you would have thought of and it just really sounds like she's really playing with the genre and the musics and your association with these songs and so I was just nerding out over this particular mix so i thought we're gonna delve into it today when you first look up this song they released all of the mixes a little bit later on after they had done the pitch perfect soundtrack universal actually released a second pitch perfect album which had all of the mixes on it and things like cups and all that stuff the album was literally called more from pitch perfect and the song is credited to the artist called The Outfit. When you look at The Outfit online, there's literally nothing to see. Like, it's really hard to find anything about The Outfit. And we managed to do a little bit of digging, and there's still not a lot out there. But I was able to discover that The Outfit is a music producer and has had credits listed on projects like Trolls, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, the Netflix series, and West Coast Ballin. And I thought it was really intriguing that not only had the outfit worked on Pitch Perfect with these mixes, but also that they'd worked on the first Trolls movie. And like, just all the connections, all the connections right there. I loved it. So who knows? Who knows what else is out there about the outfit? I'd love to know if you know anything else about the outfit. I'd be really intrigued to know. Taking a look at the song itself, two on two versus Buster Move. There's a lot we can like unpack with this mix. It's not even that long. Like the mixes are so short in the movie and also on the soundtrack. The song itself is literally like one minute and 27, 28 seconds. Like it's so short. So like, 
this could be longer. They've done a full proper mix of it or a mashup. Like this could have been a much bigger song, but no, we just get these like little snippets of these great moments of these mashups. So let's just like unpack this mashup because there's a lot involved in this. And when I was looking for it after seeing the movie, I was shocked that you couldn't get it. I was like so distraught that this was not out for me to get. And I was doing everything to try and unpack this song, try and discover where it come from, what songs were involved. And the first thing about this mix was the backing track. You get that big electronic kind of housey beat that just starts it all off and builds this song up. And I was like, where is that from? I remember searching this out and I couldn't get the mix, but I discovered where the backing track had come from. And so I was like, that's going to have to do until I can get to the point of one day finding this song if they ever release it. And the backing track itself is called Naz or Knaz, however you want to say it, by Steve Angelo. And this is actually a big house tune. Steve Angelo, you might know as one third of the big EDM group, Swedish House Mafia. Naz is one of his solo singles and was released in 2010. There is no vocals to the track at all. It's minimal beats. There's a synth stab in there. There's a great bass line and it's one of those types of unassuming hits that you can kind of put on and it will just keep people going so although this track is 10 years old it is still getting played on dance floors today and naz or kanaz however you want to say it, it begins with a k so i'm not sure if the k is silent or not but it became labeled as an old electronic essential and even when you just hear it, even without the rest of the mashup, like, it is just a great booming house track. So for a long time, that is all I had. Like, I had the individual tracks. I didn't have the whole mashup because they hadn't released it. So I got really into playing Kanaz and really getting into it. That track itself, like, if you listen to the whole thing, this is like a good four minute, 30 second track of just pure electronic it's fantastic and of course in the mashup as you're going through you get this good chunk of steve angelo's track and then you start getting the little teases of buster move and what i love about this is the fact that it's not like at a major point in the song buster move it takes like little snippets of the track and just kind of teases it in there so you're recognising this track. You're like, oh, I know this one. Because it, Buster Move is a big, cheesy, classic song from the 80s. Like, if I'm doing an 80s set or mainly 90s, Buster Move was made back in 1989. So it's right at the end of the 80s. If I'm doing like a 90s set, you can chuck in a bit of Buster Move. People know it. It's not a serious track. Like, I think at this point of its lifespan it's been used so much and it's got that kind of i don't know what it is about it it's just got a cheesy spin that has grown with it that people love and so taking those little snippets your ear picks it up and you're like oh i know this song but it's not straight away that you recognize that it's buster move 
they're they're sneaky like that it's very sneaky so what do we know about buster move obviously released in 1989 young mc aka marvin young also composed hits like tone locks wild thing and funky cold medina that's a great song but buster move was his only big hit so he's he's kind of labeled as a one-hit wonder he did have some other tracks but it was only buster move that really broke out there and the song itself actually won the 1990 grammy award for best rap performance and Buster Move takes samples from a number of songs, including Found a Child by the group Ballin' Jack, Radioactivity by Royal Clash, Scorpio by Dennis Coffey, and Daytime Hustler by Bette Midler. There's a lot in there in this track. But to be fair, this is 90s hip-hop. There's a lot of samples being used. The song itself also features vocals by Crystal Break and bass guitar by Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea. Fun fact there. It's great. I think the thing about Buster Move is it could have verged more onto sort of heavy hip-hop rap stuff, but because it plays around verging into pop, like, it's, it's kind of riding that line that people didn't really know what to do with it. And it kind of got like a bad reputation of just being like, oh, is it too cheesy to be a cool rap song or too rap-esque to be a pop song? I was looking online for some facts about Buster Move and apparently the song itself follows a guy who is hapless with women but somehow keeps getting lucky. That is literally what they summarise the song being about. So <laughs> maybe you can listen to the lyrics and see what you think. And according to Rolling Stone magazine, Buster Move helped usher in the era of pop rap, songs squeaky clean enough for the whole family and infectious enough to bombard billboard charts. Buster Move broke down barriers on radio and MTV playlists. People looked at rap and hard rock as the type of music that you slam your door after you argue with your parents and bang your head in defiance. My record wasn't necessarily rebellious, but it was clever enough to grab in a decent segment of people that didn't listen to rap music, says Young MC. So it rode that line between pop and rap. And I think, although it is a whole one-hit wonder, there was a period of time when this was like a really uncool song because it did become a bit of a joke, sometimes with songs that ride between two genres quite drastically. It can go one way or the other. But what's really cool about Buster Move is it seems to have just come back in full force in the last sort of 20 years. It has been featured in so much material more recently in its life that although it's still a cheesy song, it's just got new life of actually embracing that cheesiness. It's been featured in films like... The 2000 film Dude Where's My Car, the 2009 film The Blind Side, 17 again was also from 2009, it was performed by Will Stewster in Glee, and Raj and Leonard sing this in karaoke in 2016 in the Big Bang Theory episode, The Positive Negative Reaction, and probably most notable 
In 2009, this song was in Anna Kendrick's movie Up in the Air, where not only did you get the song, but young MC actually did the cameo of the performance, and we get Anna Kendrick cutting it up on the dance floor with this song. There's another Anna Kendrick connection. She's got, like, there's so many connections here. We've got Buster moved sneaking into the track. And you're thinking, okay, I'm warming up to this. It's interesting. I'm loving the house beats. Intrigued with how Buster Move is going. And then, I think this is the thing that just tipped it over the edge. We get 212 by Azealia Banks. I mean, what a song. When this song came out back in... I mean, it came out in the UK in 2011 and apparently the US in 2012. When this song came out, I remember this song specifically because it just kind of creeped out there. It didn't get necessarily really big in the charts, but it was one of those songs that people just fell in love with. I don't know what it was. I think because it is quite raw and just out there and unapologetic, if you just wanted a song to just whack the volume up to and sing along to, I mean, I, maybe don't sing along to the uh, the explicit version, but the, the clean version's fine. But like, this song came out of nowhere. And of course, at the time, Azealia Banks wasn't that well known. Even the music video itself, it was a very simple music video. So I think... Them putting 212 into this mashup was genius. 212 proved to be Banks's breakout song, and the song itself is apparently named after the area code 212, which covers the area of Harlem, where Banks grew up. It samples the track Float My Boat by Lazy J. And just to give you a little bit of context with 212, even now I can play this song and people love it like it will get people up when i've played it at gigs and stuff the guardian rated the song number two of their best songs of 2011 npr called the song the raunchiest shutdown of 2011 i didn't know this about the song either but mme had an interview with azealia banks and they talked about how this song just kind of broke out there they said way back in 2011 azealia was 19 years old with a development deal with XL. She borrowed Lazy J's beat, wrote some snappy filth over it, and it became 212. XL didn't like it, so she stuck it on the internet instead. And so I did a bit of digging to try and kind of get some understanding of 212. And she said that 212 came out of a place of desperation, according to Spin Magazine. It also came out of a place of anger. It's about the journey of fame and stardom. It starts off with a girl who's really ambitious. And when she's rapping, she's talking to herself. So you get this whole mishmash. You've got some rap and hip hop. You've got some throwback cheesy number from like the 80s, 90s. And of course, all laid under this big electronic house beat. For like one minute and 30 seconds, it's kind of like your introduction to Becca Mitchell's music. I love it. I think for me as well, this one was the song. This summarises Becca Mitchell's music so well and her tastes because you've got a number of extremes of genres in there. 
from your big electronic house music also just tapping into hip-hop that maybe you wouldn't have thought she'd be veering into but also the fact that she's not afraid to take a song like bust a move and say you know what yeah i can do cool i can do cool house mixes or hip-hop mixes all day long but i'm going to challenge myself to take a song that if i put it in wrongly is going to make me seem like the uncoolest dj in the world but i'm going to make it work and it all comes together in the magic that is two on two versus buster move can you tell that i love this song i mean i'm i'm obsessed absolutely obsessed i love it it's great <laughs> i would love to know what is your favorite mashup from pitch perfect out of all of Becca's mixes, I mean, there's at least three that we get to hear. It's one thing that I was always upset about with Pitch Perfect 3, with with any of the problems in Pitch Perfect 3, was the fact that we lost the mashups. I loved the mashups, whether they were the acapella mashups or Becca's mashups. I mean, Pitch Perfect 1 is the only place where you get to really hear Becca's mashups and to actually see her putting them together and just a little bit on the screen and the fact that according to the film she's making this mashup up while she's traveling to Baden it's impressive it is very impressive okay so delving into some fan fiction highlights this week we've got walking on sunshine by katie liddies this is available on AO3 and the summary says, after a whirlwind romance, Maddie is preparing to marry gorgeous Becca Mitchell, whom she met in Italy and has invited her sister Chloe to the wedding. Unbeknownst to Maddie, however, Becca is Chloe's ex-holiday flame and the love of her life. So even from this summary, you know that this is going to be a mess. Like, like, I was so intrigued with the uh, summary because I was like, how is this all going to play out? There's a lot to unpack even in the summary. So I was so intrigued with how they were going to do this all playing out. And I must admit, one thing that I found very endearing with the story is that it is just a big mess. And I say that in the most positive way because it's quite fast paced. And everything is happening so quickly, like Chloe turns up in Italy and she meets her sister and Aubrey and Amy are there as her friends. Literally, she finds out that her sister's getting married and her sister's wedding is going to be happening in like two days. And then she finds out that the fiancé is Becca. It continues to go with that feel of a pace. And there's just so many random bits that happen that just make it very chaotic. And so you're just like, how is this all going to happen? Whether it's Maddie's ex, who seems like a right creep. Poor Becca trying to get to the chapel after her stag night and unfortunately getting <laughs> tied naked to a pole. I mean, like, oh my word, what the heck? Trying to uncover how Becca and Chloe feel about everything and poor Chloe just having this mix of emotions that is just the unrolling of this fic. But what I found very intriguing as I was reading through this, and I don't think I clocked it until 
a few chapters in because this is a multi-chapter fic it's still got one chapter left to finish it off so i'm like so on edge because i'm like how is this going to finish there's so many things left to unpack and i don't know yet so i am quite excited to see how this is all going to roll out and come together in the end but there was one chapter i was reading and as i was reading it i was realizing that a number of the conversations between characters was actually lyrics from a song and I had to kind of stop myself for a second and just be like wait what is happening here I was so caught off by this happening and I'll tell you which chapter it was. it was chapter four don't you want me obviously big song don't you want me by the human league and I was reading through this and I was like wait I know this song like they're singing the lyrics to a song and I couldn't not read the rest of the fic without reading it as if they were singing the song. I don't know if that was intentional. As far as I can see, the author hasn't said anything about it being a musical. But from that moment on, I was reading all the chapters and they do include these song lyrics as dialogue. And so it just made me feel like I was reading a musical. I thought it was so clever and I started to twig as well that the chapter headings were potentially the song that they were using. So I was then fully invested in trying to unpack when they were going to put the song in, how it was going to be used. I got the impression as well as I was reading it that that also played into how they wrote the story or the characters. There was one when they're getting ready for the wedding and it flips between different characters singing lyrics to the song and where they all are at this particular moment in time and it was like I was reading a version of like Mamma Mia or something it was so clever and it allowed for this great humor as well or this sort of light-heartedness to the fic that could have been quite heavy I really kind of fell in love with this whole story and I am so intrigued to see how it's all gonna go I'm like on the edge of my seat just like hoping that everything's gonna turn out okay because I don't know how this wedding's going to happen or Chloe's not going to have her heart broken or is Maddie going to be left at the altar? Like, I don't know. I'm just... What is going to happen? Gosh. And also, which song is it going to be? Which song is the last chapter going to have in it? So many questions. The next story that I wanted to highlight for this week is called Zombie by Pink Pastels 113 on AO3. The summary says, it's the zombie apocalypse and Becca is in charge of a raid through enemy territory with the intention of sparing not a single life of the people within. Can she pull through unscathed while conflicting emotions war in her mind and in her heart, even as a flash of red catches her eye? It's been a while since I've read a zombie apocalypse AU. And this is only a one shot. So there's a lot to unpack. It really does start with them going into this raid. Like that's the beginning point. And it's Becca and a team. And it seems like the team is the Bellas. And as you're reading through, obviously it's a wall on edge because they're trying to raid this territory of the enemy. And you're not entirely sure what is going on. You know there's a zombie apocalypse, but it sounds like where they are at the moment there's no zombies or they could be coming and 
you also then have why are they there like surely they should be staying safe somewhere else what is it that makes these people the enemy and why is becca and her team so focused on taking these guys down because as you're reading through it becomes very apparent that they're not sparing any lives like a big factor of them going in it seems is literally just to kill everybody i don't remember there being any other benefit for going there it's almost like they're on a revenge mission in some form or another it's so intriguing because it draws you in and then all you get is these little puzzle pieces that you're able to connect as to why they're there and maybe what's happened in their history and all these things that just build up this picture of this zombie apocalypse au i thought it was really clever how the author had included different characters in the story not only with some of the bellas as being part of her team but also in certain characters and the role they played whether it was people like dr mitchell which helped to give context to their history and their past or chicago's one that's in there and the interaction between becca and chicago gives a lot of context as to what might have happened and then later on you then see this conflict that becca has to go through i always find it quite intriguing when you're reading stories like this where your beloved characters are given a very difficult choice to make they are given these kind of ethical questions as to what is she going to do in this situation how would you react i thought it was so clever the way that they had interwoven all these characters to tell this story and the roles that they each played and the background that they were able to give without it being super super long i could have imagined this being like a multi-chapter fic but all you get is this almost this snapshot into this universe and i was so intrigued like it sparked my imagination to then think not only the story before this moment but also what could happen in the future and those little inklings of Chloe that you get as the story unfolds that kind of adds this really fun element to the story as well with Chloe and her role in this story and although it could be a very serious very dark thick that you get these moments of levity or these moments of just little inklings of fun that come through Chloe Beale in, in this very serious moment. So it's really, really intriguing. The final fic that I wanted to cover this week is a big one. It is called To Build a Home by Chloe Beale and Jacob Peralta on AO3. Now, this is a mammoth story. This is like 29 chapters. And I've been like wanting to feature this one for a while, but I was like, I'm going to hold off till like it's near the end. And then at least you have a big chunk of story to read. And I think they've actually finished it now. The summary says, Becca knew being a single mum wasn't easy. What she wasn't prepared for was an unconventional friendship with her son's teacher. It makes it more complicated when her kid decides that Miss Beale is the worst teacher on the planet and Becca has to deal with the aftermath of his bad behaviour in class. There's a number of single parent AUs within the Bukowie fandom and I loved the idea of this one because 
not only did it have Chloe being the teacher, but also the idea that there was going to be this whole spin of this kid hating Chloe, like really not liking Chloe Beale. And part of me, when I read the summary of this, I was like, how? Like, out of all the characters from Pitch Perfect, probably somebody like Chloe is the most endearing character. Like, whether it's you or whether it's in the universe of Pitch Perfect, Chloe is one of those characters that seems very good with people and she's very friendly. So the idea that anybody would dislike Chloe Beale is really, like, fascinating. It makes me want to know, what did Chloe do? Like, what was it that made somebody hate Chloe Beale? Seriously. <laughs> Out of all the characters from Pitch Perfect, Chloe, and probably Emily to a good extent as well, are those characters which, like, if somebody hates them, you could just imagine how soul-crushing this would be because, like, they're quite the people person. I could just imagine Chloe just pouting or just being so upset that somebody doesn't like her. So with all that being said, I dove into this story and I was like, I have to know. I have to know what it is about Chloe Beale that this kid hates. Like, seriously. I also think that I always find it quite intriguing having Becca as a single mum because out of Becca and Chloe... Becca's the one that doesn't necessarily seem like the more maternal instinct type of person. And so it's always lovely and quite endearing when I read stories like this, where you get to see the writer playing around with Becca Mitchell's character, but also finding the ways in which she is a good mum. It's almost like she finds that within herself on her journey of having this child and becoming the mum and taking on the responsibility of being a single parent. And it is really endearing to read. And I really, really loved reading through this story how they really kept Becca's character there. Like, she's still got her sarcasm and still focused on her job and, and her music is there. But at the same time, she really loves her child, Jake or Jacob, the lengths that she goes for her son. But also it deals with things like issues that maybe a single parent has to deal with whether it's the judgments of other people parents who look down on her because she is on her own all the challenges of being a single parent with a full-time job and trying to balance that all out so it's like all these elements to it that I loved reading with Becca being the parent I always love it because it brings out a different side to Becca Mitchell than you normally would see Obviously, the third main character in this story is Becca's son, who is Jake, or Jacob, however you want to say it. Jake to his friends. I don't know if I'm his friends, so... Can I just say, Jacob, right? He has some very endearing moments, like he's a cute boy, but at the same time, I was slightly horrified when I read some of the chapters of this story and I was just like, oh my word, I would kill this child. Like, like <laughs> I was just like... Like, seriously, like, he's a really enduring character. He's really lovely. But there are just moments where I'm just like, this child is terrible. Like, like, no disrespect to the character whatsoever. And I thought that was very realistic because I've never had to write a story, especially one involving a child. But I can imagine it being very tempting to kind of 
paint this lovely child who's kind of perfect and whatever else and you knew going into the story that that wasn't going to be the case like this kid was going to be an issue and the antics that he would get up to because he hates Chloe Beale I think it's just very realistic to like you know a five-year-old who has a load of energy and maybe is a bit shy and doesn't like change like there were so many layers as to why the he acted the way he did his his endearment of superheroes and how that carried on through the story i just loved it it really felt like there was this kind of fully rounded little boy who really played into the story and i must admit although i was like cringing and terrified at some of the things that he would do to poor chloe beale like seriously at the same time it was so endearing and i think that's why i fell in love with it to see chloe work so hard to break away at the dislike this kid has and to slowly get in with jacob the friendship that she builds with becca and how that grows and becomes what it becomes at the end of this story so it made me think of my experiences watching pitch perfect or reading other fics with becca and chloe and how chloe has to work so hard sometimes to get under the skin and get through the walls of becca mitchell and of course why would her child be any different i loved that it was this slow build-up into this life into this relationship that was growing into chloe getting through jacob mitchell's walls trying to become a teacher that he might like or a person he might like like there was all these things and it took its time getting that so you had a lot of opportunities to see whether chloe trying something was going to work or not work and how long it was going to take jacob to get to know Chloe or get used to not only Chloe being a teacher but maybe Becca's friendship with Chloe and and how that was going to play out or if they decided to take their friendship to another level like there was all these moments that played out in their own pace and allowed this story to kind of flourish into the long thing that it was I think because of that it cemented in their their relationship as a little family and as a little group it took its time and it allowed for all these different aspects to play out and it was kind of fun to like even though i was like when are this gonna happen like when are they gonna when are becca and chloe gonna take this to the uh, the next level or when is the kid going to at least start to open up to chloe and it was fun because you never knew when it was going to happen this slow build-up into like not only friendships but also more and how these characters allowed that to go on with all of this other stuff you know to worry about in the background whether it was work responsibilities being the kid's teacher jake not liking you very much like all these things that these characters had to deal with and navigate and get to know each other and figure out what they wanted to do in the future and and i just loved it i loved the complexity of this story and how it all just played out. One of my favourite moments was quite early on with Becca and Chloe getting to know each other. And I loved this whole idea of the fact that because Chloe was Jake's teacher, it wasn't like they were just going to chat and that was going to be it. So the way in which them getting to know each other really picked up was having this little behaviour journal 
that Chloe had suggested to help with Jacob. And so they would report on how Jacob was doing and then pass it on to the other, whether it was at home or at school. And then Chloe would begin to ask questions and Becky would respond and then ask her own questions. And so they were getting to know each other through writing in this journal. And I absolutely loved that as just a way of bridging that gap, finding a way for these characters to get to know each other where you probably would have had that standoffishness in any other setting because of the roles that both of them played. And I love just reading the the conversations that they had and how that slowly unfolded. It was really, really lovely. And I absolutely just fell in love with it. It's well worth a read and it's a good multi-chapter fic for you to get into. Those are our fan fiction highlights for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, we are on social media, whether it is on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. And of course, we have got our Ko-Fi now where you can support the podcast as we keep moving it forward. I'll see you next time, pitches.